In Luke 9, there's a very famous encounter with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is gathering in some, some, some private moments with just the 12 of them, which actually was very rare. Oftentimes we think in Scripture that Jesus had all this time alone with the disciples, but the reality is Jesus had people around him all the time, and the disciples and Jesus were very rarely alone, just the sort of 12 of them and him. But this is one of those moments where they're gathered together, and they're having some intimate time, and Jesus looks at them, and he says, Who do the people say that I am? Verse 18. And uh, they kind of begin to explain, well, some people say that you're John the Baptist. I mean, and, and some people actually say that you're Elijah, kind of come back from, from being, you know, the dead or wherever. People have all kinds of different thoughts about who you are. And Jesus looks at him and he says, but who do you all say that I am? And Peter's the only one that speaks. And actually, Peter says, you are the Christ of God. And Matthew records it as him saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes on to explain to them how he must suffer at the hands of the Pharisees and then ultimately be crucified and raised from the dead. And it's actually the first time we ever see Jesus articulate this. And it's really the first time we ever see the disciples articulate the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. And it's a remarkable moment because we know that none of them really know what that means. But we see Peter say, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him after that and he says to this to his disciples, he says, listen, if any of you would come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to lose or gain his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. You know, I was really thinking as I look at these verses how powerful those moments must have been for the disciples. Because what Jesus was saying was not just that, yes, it's okay for you to articulate with your words that I'm the Messiah. But at some point in time, your life has to follow. And following me is incredibly costly. Because he's saying, Peter, if you really believe that I'm the son of the living God, that I'm going to suffer at the hands of the Pharisees and ultimately be crucified, if you believe these things and you're willing to follow me, this is what it's going to cost you, that you must take up your cross and follow me, that you must deny yourself and follow me daily, that you have to lose your life. Now, a lot of times in our culture, we've taken those verses to say, carry your cross as being some kind of like cultural, um, really kind of kind of scooping up those difficult things in life, you know, and kind of battling through. You know, i got to carry my cross. You know, it's a hard job or, or whatever I've got going on. And, and I, you know, we, we really kind of water down what Jesus is saying there. Because all that people would have known the cross to be in those days was an instrument of death. They would have not known the cross to be anything else. It wasn't some kind of metaphor for a difficult life. It was actually an instrument of Roman torture. And when Jesus says that you've got to take up your cross and follow me on a daily basis, what he's saying to the disciples and what they'd have understood it as, you have to be willing to die for me. Every day. You've got to be willing to carry your own instrument of torturous death. Which is really lost on us as a culture, isn't it? I mean, because I'll be honest, my Christianity is cultural. It's convenient. I mean, my following Christ, my own faith is a faith of convenience. It's a faith that when it suits me, I live all in. And when it doesn't, I kind of panic. And, you know, I call on Jesus when I need stuff. And then when everything's going well, I seem to kind of forget. It doesn't cost me really anything. As we sat with these people huddled in back corners of bedrooms and things and sitting out in the open with that question always nagging in the back of your mind, who's listening? I thought about what their faith cost them. I had this little girl after I uh, taught one night, um, a group of believers, this little girl 
little girl being a 22-year-old college kid, came up and she sat next to me and she said, tell me what your name means in English, Trev. I've never heard it. And I said, well, it's not exactly common. It, it, you know, I told her about the connection to my dad, and that was kind of a family name. And she said, were your parents Christian? And I said, uh, I said, they were. And she said, so they gave you the name. And I said, yeah. She goes, so you, your Christian parents named you. And I said, yeah. She goes, what an incredible blessing. And I thought, I never, I, never, I didn't make any sense to me. And so I asked her, I said, I said, is it, that's pretty, sounds like a pretty powerful thing that you just said to me. She said, when I became a Christian, uh, my parents, um, they made me leave. And I thought, you know what? When following Christ for me gets really difficult, I don't, I don't live in a in a um, environment that says I'm willing to risk it all. Yet this young woman, when she gave her life to Christ, gave up her very identity. You know what we see in Scripture when we see people following Christ is this is what we see. Christianity in the Bible is not a cultural experience. It's, it's not something that people do because it's socially acceptable. When we see people meet Jesus in the Bible, it costs them everything. They leave jobs, they leave their lives, and they follow Jesus with everything that they are. And ultimately, for some of them, it costs them their very lives. Jesus wraps all that up by saying this, that if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. But if you lose your life for me, you'll save it. And I thought to myself in those gathered moments, I said, Lord, I want my faith to cost me something. And I want my trust in you to cost me deeply. As a church and as individuals this morning, what does your faith in Christ cost you? What does it cost you to follow Jesus? Maybe it should cost us more. As Valerie mentioned, what would it look like if we took these friendships that we have, these work relationships that we have, and we leveraged them so that people might know the gospel that has changed our lives. We weren't so concerned culturally about what people thought as we were about them knowing the God that we believe in. Over the next weeks and months, you'll hear a lot more about this trip. And I know that if you're here for the first time, it, it, maybe this looks a little bit different for you. And I don't apologize for it. I just, I just want to tell you that it was profoundly important for us as a church to celebrate these things together. We're going to be unpacking these things, and as we move into the fall, I'm going to kind of work through a series that will teach us a lot of the things that I think I'm experiencing and being taught. But I just want you to ask yourself as a close in our worship time this morning is, Jesus, what does it cost me to, to follow you? I'll end with this last little thought, and then Don the band will come up and lead us in worship, and we'll, we'll close out this morning. One of the things that we invited believers to was a night of worship. Um, we rented a hotel room. And we invited believers, and we were careful to just invite believers to come be a part of a night of worship, hoping that we'd have 20 or so people that would come and meet in this hotel room, and we'd sing praises, and we were going to do four in English, and we we're going to do a bunch, or we going to do eight in English and then eight in Chinese. You think we do a lot of music here. We do eight in English and then eight in Chinese and just worship together. And as we shared and we shared and we shared and we invited people to come, people just kept coming in that Saturday night. We had over 110 people that gathered and worshiped that night, crammed into this tiny little room, and it was hot. It was already hot in China, but it was hot. And we sang, and we sang, and we sang, and we sang. And our missionary friends that we were there with uh, we had all kinds of mixed anxiety, and I, I looked at, at Will as we were wrapping up, and I said, what do you think? He said, this is the most amazing thing I've experienced, and the funny thing is we can never do it again because we can't gather this many people in the same room.
And I thought to myself, yeah, we do this for, take this for granted every Sunday morning. The privilege of being able to gather as 100 people and sing at the tops of our lungs to the same God. This morning as we close our time together, let's ask ourselves what it costs us to follow Jesus together. And remember the church that's scattered and gathered around the world, huddled in tiny corners, celebrating and worshiping the same love that's penetrated our hearts. Let's stand up and close our time in worship today.